Kristen Rob Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We have a really great show for you today. We start out talking about what's happening with democracy. And by democracy, we mean what's happening also with voter suppression and attacks on our rights to be able to choose what to do with our own bodies. After that, we dive into the latest with 92 million people in America having to actually re-up on Medicaid, half of whom are kids. It's an important segment. You get lots of tips on how to do that. Then we dive into taxes. Often it sounds like a bad word, but listen, there's a sea change coming and more wealthy corporations and wealthy individuals are starting to pay their fair share. So find out about it on that segment. And then we close the show celebrating breastfeeding month, talking about why breastfeeding is important and what changes and policies are happening that you need to know about around you. We're going to jump right in with our first guest. We're joined right now by one of my very favorite people on the planet Earth, a nation-changing, world-lifting, policy-shaping, democracy-saving person, Barbara Arnwine, who's president of the Transformative Justice Coalition. Welcome, Barbara. Hey, Kristen. It's so good to talk to you, and thank you for all that Moms Rising leadership. It's outstanding. Well, thank you for your leadership. And speaking of leadership, we're kind of between elections right now but democracy is still on the line and you are a leader who is saving democracy every day what does everyone need to know about democracy right now in the united states of america it's that there are people who are really properly called anti-democracy forces they actually don't believe in democracy uh, they would trade democracy for plutocracy, for an autocracy, for any other governance plan in a minute, as long as they can have patriarchal, white, <laughs> male-dominated politics, as long as uh, they can have uh, anti-regulation of corporate, you know, operations and as long as they can have minimum or if none taxation they'll trade everything and that's why you know they're willing to uh you know to support uh this uh madness of january 6th you know people who try to overthrow the election results that's why uh you can see all the undermining of confidence in our institutions all of this Because fundamentally, the reason why they can engage in voter suppression, the reason why they can engage in all of these evil efforts is because they don't believe in, really, truly don't believe in democracy. And they don't believe in democracy. They also believe in cheating. So we're seeing a lot of this voter (laughs) suppression legislation being pushed in states around the country with the packaging that it's supposed to protect voters. But what it is doing is deflecting voters from being able to get to the voting booth. It's ridiculous. And why do you think more people don't know what's happening? It's all about who's being targeted, right? You know, it's it's, the reality is that you go into African-American neighborhoods to vote or into Native American neighborhoods to vote, or Latino, you know, you will encounter some long lines. Uh, but if you're in a, at the average white uh, community, you're not going to have long lines. Why is that? Because in those people of color communities, they make sure to have less polling spots. 
think about this, everybody. We've added millions of people to our population in the last 10 years, but in the last 10 years, we've lost more than 2,000 polling sites. Not because they've consolidated them, made them larger. No, no, no. They're just gone. And people are having trouble, you know, getting to a polling site. But most of the places where they've eliminated those polling sites are where people of color live where Native Americans live, where blacks live, where Latinos live. Uh, you know, that's what people need to understand. So when they say, I don't understand what you mean about voter suppression because I don't see it. Yes, you don't see it because you're white oftentimes and you're living in areas that aren't their targets. They don't care about, uh, you know, how you may vote except for they care about young white women. And they care about young whites. Uh, There's this growing movement right now to try to suppress the vote of youth. Uh, There's people talking what? About the voting age to be raised to 25? Not even 21, 25. That's ridiculous. That is so ridiculous. I'm serious. They don't want voting. They want to ban all voting sites on college campuses because they know those young women are going to show up and vote for, you know, we call them the Dobbs voters. They know they're going to show up and vote for reproductive rights. And they believe in, uh, but these anti-democracy forces believe in this great white replacement theory. So that, you know, drives them to be, you know, white supremacists, drives them to be anti, you know, uh, women. And because of their patriarchal beliefs, they believe that women should be, Baby bearers, mainly, uh, they don't see our identity as careerists. They don't see our identity as intellectuals. They don't see our identity other than the fact that we women should have babies and white women definitely should be having babies because without it, they're going to be, quote, outnumbered by all these people of color. So that ignorance, that hatred that underlies so much of this anti democracy forces and their actions is really dangerous and we got to understand it because they are serious they're not at all just you know sitting around plotting with some delay with some dilatoriness no they're dead serious they want the nation that they believe in which is a nation that does not give women equality it is so true and for people who are listening and saying wait what Just look around and look at what's happening. I love that you raised this, Barbara, with reproductive health care. The very same people who are fighting to take away and are taking away our access to abortion care, which is a fundamental bodily autonomy decision that should be between a person and their doctor, are also fighting to take away access to birth control. If it was about abortion then people would say, let us do the thing that prevents the most abortions from happening, according to research, and that is access to affordable birth control. So they wouldn't be taking away the very tool that we have to control whether or not we get pregnant if it was about abortion. They are 99% committed to the great white replacement theory. They're 90% committed. That means you can't have contraceptives. That means you can't have birth control. That means you have, uh, you know, make sure that you drive a big wedge so that women 
cannot have the right to decide when and should they get pregnant. They just don't believe in that and that they don't have the right to decide should they, in fact, be forced to have, you know, a child uh, that they can't afford, that they can't take care of, that they cannot give what they want to give to them. This is our reality, everybody, is that we live in a society where people are impatient, where people are cruel, and where they just think that their view of America should dominate. They don't care about what other people want. And what I want people to understand the connection of this great white replacement theory, that's why you can have the El Paso killing of the immigrants, you know, the guy who was out there looking in Walmart to kill immigrants. That's why you can have the tree of life killing, because, you know, they believe that, you know, Jewish people are, you know, enemies and dangerous and all of that. That's why you can have this craziness where Dobbs, you know, takes place in Mississippi and they say, oh, you know, and the Lidl, you know, others, you know, say, well, it's really about, uh, you know, African-American women and we don't want to, you know, have their rights infringed on it. It's turned the narrative all over the place. When in reality, since Dobbs, do people know that the amount of deaths, maternal deaths for black women, when you take away reproductive choice, reproductive access, when you take away contraceptives, when you take away that, the black women maternal death rate in Mississippi has increased more than 30%. So black That's women, awful. black That's women awful. dying, 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 dying because of this hatred. So it doesn't, quote, help. You know, they tell people, you know, this is because, you know, abortion was, you know, really racialized. No, you're killing black women. You're killing us. This is just not acceptable. So don't fall for the okie doke people. Uh, you know, understand that we women have to have choice. Men out there support us. You know, fight for us. Fight for our rights. And let's all fight against this hate. When that guy went into the Buffalo supermarket and killed all those black people to about you can't replace whites. Uh, you know, when you saw those folks, you know, uh, with the tiki torches uh, marching in Charlottesville yelling, uh, you know, you won't replace us. Uh, all of this stuff, we got to stop it. We got to understand that we are inevitably, inextricably linked together as one people, one democracy, and without it, everything fails. None of us benefits from this uh, myopic, limited viewpoint of who should have and share power in our country. We got to be power sharing. We got to be power, you know, we got to be loving and affirming of all people. And we got to stop all this nonsense of uh, book banning and saying that you can't have, uh, you know, black history taught, women's history taught, women's studies taught, ethnic studies taught. That's just wrong, folks. We got to be all about inclusion. I could not agree with you anymore. I 150,000 trillion bazillion made up number of infinity. <laughs> agree with you. We only have about one minute left. And I know yes. listeners are wondering what can they do in like a one yes. minute? How can people get involved? Help us, you know, become a democracy advocate. 
you know, join our organizations, you know, be part of Moms Rising, be part of Transformative Justice Coalition, encourage young people to be involved in the system. Remember that in 2022, uh, 37% of all young voters said that they voted to protect our democracy, that that's why they voted or to demand, you know, reproductive justice. We got to understand that we need to invest in our young people heavily. So do follow us, you know, and become involved. We want you to help us to register those 50 some million people who are unregistered. We want you to help us to make the laws better in all the states, you know, to fight like they did in Michigan for an expansive democracy. Uh, you know, study that Michigan the initiative and see how it's really narrowed, almost eliminated the racial turnout gap in Michigan. Come on, there's stuff we can do, and all we need is to involve ourselves. And believe me, you got the power. You have you it. Have Don't the- let anybody tell you otherwise. I agree. We have the power together. Thank you so yes. much for being on. <laughs> Barbara Arnwine, president of the Transformative Justice Coalition. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Kristen. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. We'll be right back with our next guest talking about the 92 million people who are about to need to re-up on healthcare. Find out more in just a quick second. Breaking through with me, Kristen Rao Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We are joined right now by Allie Gardner of the Georgetown Center for Children and Families. And she is here to help you make sure you get and keep health care. Welcome, Allie. Great to be here. I'm really excited that you're here because we have some complex healthcare issues going on, like advanced algebraic healthcare issues going on. Can you share with our listeners in the way that you do so well what is happening with healthcare? And what do we need to do? Absolutely. So, um, and I, my husband speaks Russian, so I understand foreign languages very well. Um, so I'll try and break this down the best way I can. So currently we are focused in the Medicaid space. There's a lot of different ways people get health insurance, but right now Medicaid is really the nation's focus of that's undergoing significant changes. So when the pandemic first hit in March 2020, Congress passed a lot of bipartisan legislation to help mitigate the impacts of the pandemic and associated economic recession. And part of that was they gave states extra enhanced federal matching funds for their Medicaid programs. But in exchange, states could not disenroll anyone from Medicaid. And that authority was tied to the end of the COVID public health emergency which went on, I think, a lot longer than a lot of us expected. And as a result, that meant that states' Medicaid rolls were basically frozen for three years, save a few exceptions. So for three years, no one's been terminated from coverage. If they had Medicaid, they've been enrolled in Medicaid over the past three years. And then in April of 2023, states were able to begin disenrolling individuals from Medicaid. And that was a result of the Consolidated Appropriations Act that passed at the end of last year, which delinked that um, uh, continuous enrollment protection or the disenrollment freeze from the end of the public health emergency and instead set the date certain of April 1st. So since then, people have had as part of their, um, in order to keep their Medicaid, people have to um, 
fill out or, or turn in a renewal form confirming their eligibility for Medicaid. In most cases, this is confirming their income, since most people's Medicaid eligibility is based on their income levels. But there are also a number of other factors like disability status, age, um, a number of other things. And it's a complex process. And so now, after three years of not having to do this, all 92 million people on the Medicaid program are having to have their income checked over the course of the next year, which is a really 90. significant, uh, yep, 92 million. It's a huge <laughs> undertaking. That's a lot of people, 92 million listeners. That means that might be one of you or two or 92 million of you. What are the next steps to doing this? So if you want to be proactive, Sometimes people don't know they're on Medicare or Medicaid or any of these programs. So what should basically everyone who's listening do? <laughs> well, I think people don't know, I, the names are different of the programs across different areas. Absolutely. And I think that that is absolutely a source of confusion. What Medicaid is called in one state is sometimes what it's not is not actually called Medicaid. It's called TenCare in Tennessee. It's called Apple Health in Washington. So number one, figuring out what your state's Medicaid program is called and if you've been on it in the past three years. Because if you have, then you likely have to fill out a Medicaid renewal. Um, so that what I would say is step one. Well, where uh, do you step- get the Medicaid renewal? Like, can you go to healthcare.gov and go in and be like, hi, I'm a person. Like every other person, sometimes I need to go to the doctor. What should I do? <laughs> like, where do I need to go? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question and and the number one, one place to start. So like I mentioned, this is a year-long process of what we're calling the unwinding. And so states, because of the... The, just the sheer scale of what this is going to be, states are phasing this and renewing folks over the course of the of the full 12 months they've been allotted by the federal government. And so with that, there's not one play, one time that someone should be looking for the renewal form, which makes this even more confusing than it already was. Okay. So one of, yeah. <laughs> again, 92 million confused people. Listen, if you're confused, you're not alone. You have a lot of people. <laughs> confused with you. Thank you also for uh, unconfusing us. I mean, yeah, no. And and so I said, you know, as we've gotten into this process, it was not the first thing I was telling people as we prepared for two years, but it's now the number one thing I tell people, which is if you think you're on Medicaid, one, check your renewal or your Medicaid status and see if you're enrolled. And if you are on Medicaid, check your renewal date. Most states have an online portal that you can access that information through. Or, you know, in, in a lot of states have given that information to providers where you can ask your when you go in for a well visit, especially, you know, out of those 92 million people that are on Medicaid, over half are kids. So yeah. wait, let's say a, that again. Yeah. Over half of the 92 million people on Medicaid are children. So this is really up to parents. So a serious question. Can you go into healthcare.gov and figure out what is Medicaid in your state called? Or can you call the number? If you go to healthcare.gov, there is a phone number on that webpage. Can you call the phone number on that webpage and say, hello, walk me through this situation? Or is there like a number that people can call? So, um, and this is why our healthcare system is so complex because healthcare.gov is a name that has become synonymous with health insurance, but that is actually only coverage for a couple million people. It's incredibly important coverage, 
but it's only for the federal marketplaces for someone who is not qualified for Medicaid. So it'll be very important for people as they may not be eligible for Medicaid and transition to that coverage. But luckily, Medicaid.gov, the federally run Medicaid site, um, on their homepage, they have a big banner um, talking about renewing your coverage. And if you click on that, they have a 50 state list of oh, all of the helplines that you can call to figure out, to call the call center, to try and get help. But also I really encourage folks it, because we've heard of long call center wait times in states and you know, this isn't a, there is an urgent need to fill out your renewal form in a timely manner if you're on Medicaid and you're due for renewal. So if you're confused, if you need help, if the call center is not where you can, is is way too long of a, a wait time, there are a lot of navigators and assistant assister organizations that are prepared and ready to help know this inside and out and can get you to the right people. And not only that, but can help you fill out your renewal form because those things are confusing. They are. And also, um, I just went on the medicaid.gov website while you were talking. It's fabulous there is a phone number to call people there are as you just heard from Allie, ways to click through and see the different state phone numbers and support as well it's really great so everybody needs to run not walk to medicaid.gov know that medicaid is possibly called something else in your state than medicaid um so you really 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 want to check in on your state and look at that renewal that's really exciting i love that resource this is like my happy resource day <laughs> and it's really important i think the one critical message that we've been trying to get across you know talking about the number of kids on medicaid over half of the nation's kids are on medicaid so this is incredibly on medicaid or chip um but most on medicaid and so you know in this process uh, parents have different eligibility levels than kids. And so even if a parent is no longer eligible for Medicaid, it's very likely that their kid is still eligible. And so I think that that's a key message to that we're really trying to get across is submit the renewal form, even if you think you're ineligible, even if you think that you or your family member doesn't qualify, let someone else figure that out and make sure that your kids don't experience gaps in coverage because we know how critical healthcare is, especially in those early years for development. For sure. And I love that. I'm just going to restate what you said. Even if you're on the fence about knowing if you're eligible or not, uh, submit the form anyway, because there is an assessment that's done about whether you're eligible that you don't have to do. So you will be told if you're ineligible. So go ahead and submit that form and include your kids if you have kids on that as well. And you can go again to medicaid.gov. So it's M-E-D-I-C-A-I-D.gov. Um, and 92 million people may be going there with you. So going there sooner rather than later is good. Like don't end up going at the last minute when the line's gonna be the longest. Go there like now if you can, <laughs> medicaid.gov. So Ah, healthcare policy. What's happening with healthcare policy as a whole? I mean, this is not optimal to have to have 92 million people at the same time get kind of re-enrolled. What's happening with healthcare policy in America? It, I think what it does show is what an important safety net Medicaid is for so many low-income families and families with uh, significant health conditions, especially kids with health uh, significant healthcare conditions. So as insane as this process is, as, as rigorous as it is, as much work as everybody's having to put in to make sure 
you know, eligible people stay enrolled. Again, I think ultimately it shows the power of Medicaid as a safety net program. But um, unfortunately, um, kind of the flip side of that safety net program and what's going on right now is most of we're seeing a lot of people losing coverage and not because they're ineligible, but because of what we call procedural reasons, which it means there's some kind of red tape barrier or administrative burden that prevented someone from turning in their renewal form. And as a result, the state was unable to make a determination of whether they were eligible or ineligible, and they're just terminated from coverage. And we're seeing this in a lot of non-expansion states, which means that which since non-expansion states don't have a lot of adults on their Medicaid programs, that means there's a lot of kids losing coverage who are likely still eligible for the program. Where does advocacy come into this? Should people be calling their members of Congress about anything relating to any of this? That's a that's a great question. I think, you know, um, you know, us at CCF, we don't lobby, so I won't direct anyone to take any specific action. But, you know, some of the key things that we have been encouraging and that have been helpful thus far to get an idea of what's going on is data transparency. We have data for about 32 states and CMS is mandated to release data specifically on the unwinding. But there's two big issues with that. One is the time lag. So right now, CMS is releasing their unwinding data on about a three month lag. So the data we're seeing recently published is for April. Still helpful for states that are choosing not to post data themselves, but it it, it hinders our ability to respond in time to the issues that may be arising. The other piece is none of the data is disaggregated by eligibility group, which means we don't know of the numbers of disenrollments we're seeing, how many are kids. And I mentioned those two pieces in terms of advocacy because the data really can inform where the request to Congress or to working with the state are most helpful. If we see a lot of kids losing coverage, that likely means that there's something wrong in the communications or there's something wrong in the state's systems in terms of how they check eligibility that may be resulting in disenrollments. But if we're seeing a lot of adults, they may not be aware of the process. They they're, they might be think they're ineligible for coverage, which they may be, but they should still turn in their renewal form because then they can get transferred to the marketplace and, and mitigate some gaps in coverage. So um, ultimately, you know, that's, I think, a big advocacy piece is ensuring you have data because it really can help us see a story. And part of the CMS data that we're getting is actually on call centers, which has become incredibly important as well, like I mentioned earlier. Oh, if for a sure. State, yeah, if we have, you know, a state call center has four to five hour wait times, I don't have that time <laughs> to wait four to five hours, and a lot of other people don't either. And if you need that to get assistance, that can really hinder your ability to successfully complete your renewal. So again, that's kind of, you know, if there's one thing to focus on, it's the data, it tells a great story, and it can help figure out where those targeted advocacy asks are, are going to be most helpful. Thank you. And we have one minute left. How can people get involved, track, join, support your organization? Thank you for asking. And I, you know, we actually, we are knee deep in this. Um, we have three types of trackers, so you don't have to to hopefully make this data easier, so you don't have to search 50 state websites. We have a data specifically on the, uh, a tracker specifically on the unwinding data that's been released so far. We have a data tracker on enrollment and how that's changing to try and get an idea of what's happening for kids. 
And then all links related to all unwinding documents that we've been able to find are on our website on what we're calling our 50 state unwinding tracker. So hopefully that, you know, it's all consolidated on our unwinding page on our website. Please go there if you have any questions. Our emails are on the our website. Please reach out. Um, but yes, we are trying to make this complicated process as easy as possible. But definitely, it's an all hands on deck situation. So appreciate any and all advocate advocacy that can um, be done. And your website is ccf.georgetown.edu. So ccf.georgetown.edu. We're talking with Allie Gardner of the Georgetown Center for Children and Families. Thank you, Allie. Thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. Next up, we're talking taxes. And we're talking taxes in a good way. Surprising, huh? Take a quick listen. We'll be back in just a quick flash. Breaking through with me, Kristen Rao Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We're joined right now by Sarah Christofferson of Americans for Tax Fairness, who has some really good, 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 great, terrific news to share today. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Yes, I am so glad to be here today with with something positive to talk about. I know. Uh, it's so exciting. So the Inflation Reduction Act was signed into law by President Biden a year ago. And so the one year anniversary has been coming up and lots of things have been coming forward to celebrate. And I'm just going to name a couple and then I'd love to hear some of yours as well. One of them is that we've had the largest job growth in two years than any president has had in four years. So double the job growth in half the time. It's been pretty awesome. Manufacturing has increased in the United States of America. So we've got job growth, we've got manufacturing, and we've got family costs going down. So lowering actually inflation. And this is coming because also we've done some spectacular work with our tax code. Would you like to share the awesome news? Yes, I would love to. Um, and you touched on, now this is not specifically the tax code, but it is the Inflation Reduction Act. And you may have talked about this before, but one reason costs are coming down is because the Inflation Reduction Act did take some critical first steps in clamping down on prescription drug prices, right? So people are really, really benefiting from that. And on the tax side, both the, the healthcare expansion you know, people getting benefits through expanded benefits through the Affordable Care Act so that they're paying even less in premiums or co-pays for high quality coverage. And then the big investments in climate that the Inflation Reduction Act made were paid for by <laughs> asking billion dollar corporations who were getting away paying sometimes no federal taxes at all. Like sometimes literally I was paying more in federal taxes than some of these massive multinational billion dollar corporations. So the Inflation Reduction Act says, let's invest in people, let's invest in healthcare, let's invest in climate, and let's maybe make uh, some of these folks like Nike and Amazon, you know, start contributing taxes. And then another fantastic thing it does on the tax side doesn't sound as exciting, but it's huge. It actually invests resources in the IRS so that instead of kind of going after auditing regular people, because regular people are cheap and easy to audit, now the IRS can finally go after 
the big guys, the billionaires, the ones who can hire an army of lawyers so that they get out of paying even the taxes that they're supposed to owe. So we actually are already seeing returns on that. The IRS is already starting to staff up. They've already gotten $38 million from 175 rich tax cheats. And I mean rich. We're not talking people like you and me. We're talking people who've been gaming the system for years and have now had to suddenly pay up because the IRS finally has resources to go after them instead of us. So super exciting. It is super exciting. Do you think people know about it? Definitely not. <laughs> I think, um, you know, one for any number of reasons, but there's such a challenge trying to break through in the media environment when, you know, there's just so much stuff happening at any given moment. I mean, just, you know, the former president, Donald Trump, is no longer president, but he still manages to make news for all kinds of shocking reasons on a regular basis. And so I think it's very difficult for regular people to really realize that promises were made and not every single problem. You know, it's not a perfect bill. It's not it's not everything mm -hmm. we want. The mission isn't done. But man, a lot of promises were kept in terms of climate and health care and like asking the wealthy and corporations to pay more of their fair share. So I, you know, I think it's a shame that people don't know more about the Inflation Reduction Act because when they find out what's in it, they're like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. And also what's also interesting is they find out what's in it sometimes piece by piece, like little piece by piece, like brick by brick, like people will be out and they'll say like, oh, look at that new, you know, ribbon cutting ceremony for a new road or, oh my gosh, I have broadband now. So I have access to be able to do my work faster because I can finally get on the internet from my house or from my office in a faster way. What are the bits and pieces that sort of are coming out as this is being implemented that people, when they look around can say, oh, I bet that's the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, so there's actually, a, and I, you know, I should clarify, the Inflation Reduction Act was a huge win for regular people, but it actually wasn't the only one that the, the Biden administration has passed. So there was an infrastructure, a major infrastructure package. Um, and I can speak to less of that, but it's worth you know, your audience kind of knowing that there really have been these significant investments, right? So one reason for anyone who was paying attention to that bridge collapse in Pennsylvania on I-95, you know, one reason that they were able to move so quickly is the Biden administration helped secure federal dollars for infrastructure improvements. And, and paying for these things by, again, taxing those folks who can best afford and have least contributed. So it's it's a huge win. But I was you know, even on the on I drove my friend to a mechanic today because her car broke down and I was saying, oh, I'm going to talk to Moms Rising today about the Inflation Reduction Act. She's like, what's that? And so, you know, just oh, fun. so you yeah. have like a prep moment. What, what did yes. you say? What is that? Well, I basically told her what I told you about the pieces that excite me as a tax nerd the most around, you know, like even on the IRS side, the money helping regular people be able to get a, a live person on the phone if you're having a problem with your tax return or your refund didn't come when you were expecting it or you have a question or this or that. Like just even helping regular people live their lives and make it a little easier for them. The IRS is also moving forward with a direct file pilot program, which will 
basically say you don't have to go through a TurboTax or an H&R Block to file your taxes. And oh, by the way, TurboTax has been taking your private <laughs> personal information and selling it to Facebook. Like You don't have to do that. You could just do an easy, free, direct file through IRS. So there's like all of these cool things that are going to that that have already and will more and more start to appear in regular people's lives little improvements but they may not know oh this was the biden administration this was the inflation reduction act you know so i think you all getting the message out is so helpful yeah and there's a lot in there about climate protection too do you want to share any of that excitement so there is a lot about the climate pieces. And that's the piece that I probably know the least about um, because I am, again, the tax nerd. But it's, you know, been heralded as I think the most significant advancement in in fighting climate change ever. Um, And again, I beat this drum, but paid for by billion dollar corporations, right? Paid for by the people who in many cases have been fueling climate change and managing to not pay any taxes. Yes, that is the best part. <laughs> Making sure that people, corporations are paying their fair share. What's next? What's coming up in this tax area? So this is where like, I, I have to couch the great news with a word of caution, which is that the fight is never over, right? So House Republicans have put together a very egregious, not surprising, you know, shocking, but not surprising package that would roll back all of these climate investments because they actually don't mind tax increases (laughs) when it's making things worse, Um, but would roll back all of these climate investments, would give polluters a significant tax cut in the terms of having to clean up environmental disasters, and then would, not surprisingly, include a massive tax cut for corporations, for sharehold- for foreign shareholders, for the ultra-wealthy, while regular average families would get, I think, an average of $40 a tax cut per year. So the, the top folks would get, you know, a five-digit tax cut and the bottom folks would get 40 bucks. Wow. We think that bill could come to the house floor in the fall. And it's just such a striking demonstration of the priorities, right? Like they make the climate worse, help rich people and corporations versus invest in the climate and ask those folks to pay their fair share. Yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm doing a heavy sigh because too often taxes get a bad name. They get a bad name. People think taxes and they're like, yuck. But, you know, if you like to flush a toilet, if you like to have clean air, if you like to drive on a road, go to a school, turn on the lights, if you like to basically do anything, then you really secretly love and also like taxes. Right. (laughs) And I feel like the sort of tone around taxes is starting to turn around because the problem with the tax situation in the United States of America and why the T word has gotten a bad name is because too often it's un 
fair. Corporations yeah. and the very wealthy are not paying their fair share. And that's not okay. But I feel like we're moving in a direction where we can sort of embrace the T word with corporations and the very wealthy paying their fair share. Do you think there's like a sea change happening? Yes. And I think this is a case where the public is far ahead of the politicians in many cases. So, you know, I think too many of our elected officials, maybe across both parties, are trapped in that kind of Reagan era, trickle down, taxes are bad. But when you look at polling, even Trump voters, and actually think about how Trump messaged his tax bill. He said, I'm going to raise taxes on guys like me and cut your taxes. Now, that was a lie. But it was effective and it showed that even for his supporters, there is this feeling, I'm playing by the rules, I'm paying my taxes, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, and the rich guys at the very top are not. And that's true. I mean, that is, that is in fact what's happening. And there's a lot of resentment and frustration about that. And so even just when we looked at polling on what, on the bill that became the Inflation Reduction Act, we found that as soon as people realized that their taxes were not going to go up, but that the rich and corporations would be asked to pay their fair share, their support for the Inflation Reduction Act, what would become the Inflation Reduction Act, significantly increased. They were very comfortable making investments in climate and health if they knew that it was going to be the rich folks and the corporations covering the cost. So what can people do? to get involved, to make sure that this sea change and tax policy change keeps happening. So I can show up to congressional offices with all the polling data in the world, and it does not make a difference unless they are hearing it from their own constituents. And that can mean writing a letter to your member of, well, an email to your letter, your member of Congress, or making a phone call, it can mean showing up to a town hall. It can mean showing up to one of their teletown halls or asking even for a meeting in a district office or the DC office. But it's whatever you're doing. I mean, it can even mean, hey, congressman, when you're sitting next to them on the flight or you bump into them in the airport or you bump into them grocery shopping, right? Like, or at the 4th of July parade or the Veterans Day parade. Having that conversation where you're like, hey, this really matters to me has so much more impact than, you know, all of the polling and the lobbying and everything else. Hearing it when they're at home from their constituents saying, yes, I really care about this. I'm paying attention to this. Yeah. Has yeah. enormous psychological impact. So how would you say that, though? Because the word tax and talking about taxes can sometimes be intimidating. You know, it feels weird to walk up to a member of Congress. Hi, I love taxes. You know what I mean? But you don't actually mean that. You mean, hello, we love when the very wealthy and corporations pay their fair share of taxes. Or what would you say? Like, if I was a member of Congress and I was walking down the street, what would you tell me? Well, first, let me say taxes, the idea of taxes being confusing, intimidating, that all serves to benefit the ultra wealthy and the corporations, right? Like it benefits them when regular people feel like, oh, I can't talk about this because I am not a PhD in economics or whatever. But what I tell people over and over again is you do not have to be an expert on the intricate details of this or that tax policy. You only have to be an expert on your own story. And your story is, 
you are paying your fair share and you read the newspaper and you can see that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Warren Buffett and whomever else are not. You can see there were years in which you personally paid more in taxes, not even just a higher tax rate, but more dollars than some of the richest men who have ever existed on the planet. And that is not right. And you don't necessarily need to go to that member of Congress with all of the perfect solutions. You need to go to that member of Congress and say, this isn't right. These people are not paying their fair share. Corporations are not paying their fair share. What are you going to do to fix it? That is the best thing to say. Thank you so much for being on Americans Protect Fairness. Sarah Christofferson, thank you for all you do. Thank you for fighting for fairness. Thank you so much for having me on. It was great. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break, but next up, we're talking about breastfeeding months, why it's important to you, to public health, to all of us. We'll be back in just a second. We're going to fight for With me, Kristen Ralph Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We have an amazing, spectacular, really important guest, Tina Sherman of Moms Rising. Welcome, Tina. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I am so happy that you are here. One of the things that's happening is it is breastfeeding month right now. And a lot of people think, ah, oh, breastfeeding, that doesn't really matter. Why does breastfeeding matter and why do we need a whole month? Oh, that is a great question. Well, National Breastfeeding Month is such an important time of the year. During National Breastfeeding Month, we want to celebrate every milestone that families have hit on their breastfeeding journey. So whether they set that journey and those goals at a year and a half, and that's what they made it, or they said, we're going to see how this works. Um, and maybe they only got to latch on once. During National Breastfeeding Month, we want to celebrate all of that, recognizing that parents come to um, come to human milk feeding and feeding their babies with the best of intentions um, and to do what is best for their babies. And we want to celebrate every single bit of that. So we at Moms Rising celebrate that through. Um, I have to tell you that um, the theme this year is this is our why. And Moms Rising's why is supporting public policies that support pregnant and lactating families. That is our why as we walk into National Breastfeeding Month. I love the why. Now there's so many stories, speaking of the why, about how breastfeeding, about nursing, really helps both the mom and the infant. And those stories don't get told often enough. I'll share mine. When my son was born, he was surprisingly born with a primary immune deficiency. He didn't have any IgA, also known as immunoglobulin A. And it turned out that you can't get medicine to get IgA. You can't have a pill. You can't have an IV. You can't have any type of medical intervention to replace that missing IgA, which you actually need in order to not get really sick. And so the one place that there is IgA though is in breast milk. So the doctors really encouraged me to nurse my son for as long as I could, which I did, um, so that he could literally be nursed to health so that his immune system could catch up and develop over time and to make his own IgA. But you know, until he could make his own IgA, it was really only the breast milk that was supporting that. And so 
at that moment, I really became highly aware of the importance of breast milk for the health of the infant. And I also really realized the importance of everybody being able to have the freedom to decide if they're going to nurse or not. We definitely want formula available. We definitely want people to be able to make the decision about whether they can nurse or not. And that um, is too often not the case. Too often people get pushed back into the workplace so quickly that they're unable to continue nursing, unable to continue pumping, unable to continue that. And so the laws that are passing right now and the growing awareness with breastfeeding month is so critical to enable people to be able to make those decisions. And there's so many stories like that. And we hear from so many families who um, who want to breastfeed, who have breastfed, um, sharing stories just like yours, Kristen, just like yours. Um, we know the data tells us that most moms, in fact, four out of five moms start out breastfeeding here in the U.S., but less than half are still breastfeeding at six months postpartum. And so here at Moms Rising, one of the things that we want to do is fight for public policies um, to enable breastfeeding families to meet their own goals, whatever those goals are. Um, and so we are advocating for a whole host of public policies to do that. Um, and two of them um, just passed last year and were enacted into law this summer. And we are so excited and part of what we're celebrating this month. Um, and that is the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act and the Pump for Nursing Mothers Act. And so we are so excited um, that this National Breastfeeding Month, we get to celebrate those two laws, um, giving new rights to pregnant and breastfeeding and lactating workers. What are those rights? People are like, new rights, yay, what are they? The Pregnant Workers Fairness Act allows new and pregnant people to be able to um, do things like sit on a stool. Yes, sit on a stool when they're pregnant or take an extra bathroom break or have a water bottle, even wear a maternity outfit, a uniform that's different from their standard uniform issues. Very simple, very reasonable accommodations. It requires employers to do that. And believe it or not, before this law was enacted, um, that was not a right that pregnant workers had. And people cannot and believe it that people don't have rights to do things like sit on a stool when they're pregnant. What yeah. in the world is going on? What's been the response to this new law? Well, so much excitement. Um, the EEOC is the agency that is um, writing the rules and regulations around this new law. And there is so much excitement from the, the EEOC, from families, from the Biden administration. Um, so much excitement. But one of the things we're trying to do is get the word out um, because it is law, but if people don't know, they're not able to um, to exercise their rights, their, their new rights. Um, and so that's one of the things we're trying to do. Folks are excited about it. We have heard from several moms who have not, who were not able to, um, to, to do things, simple things like um, wear maternity clothing, it, you know, the uniform, they had a uniform for work and they weren't allowed to wear maternity clothing. And so they either, you know, had to just go until they could no longer wear their clothing anymore or they resigned um, or, or, um, or were let go. And that is now illegal. Um, and so these reasonable accommodations are now a part of the rights that um, the pregnant workers um, have. I love it. I love it so much because we just 
marked mom equal pay day and it sounds like a day to celebrate but it's completely not it's the day in 2023 that moms across all races and ethnicities have to work to in order to earn what dads earned in 2022 alone so that's eight months extra of work to earn what a dad earned in 12 months it's ridiculous and one of the things is that when we look at it due to structural racism while moms across all races and ethnicities are earning 74 cents to a white dad's dollar uh latina moms are earning just 51 cents and black moms just 53 cents it's got to go and the thing is we know how to get rid of the wage gaps we know how to close the wage gaps and one of the ways is by passing policies like the pregnant workers fairness act the pump for nursing mothers act and then also passing those care infrastructure policies like paid family medical leave child care equitable health care and more and study after study shows that those help close the wage gaps between moms and non-moms between women and between men, and it could lift our GDP by as much as three to five percent. So it's a win-win-win for everyone. It's and a win. Policies, though they're not just personal policies, they're not just political policies. These are about um our country's economy and communities. And do you think yes. there was enough celebration when they passed? Um we are still celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There was nice celebrations, but we are still celebrating. And I am excited to share that we are going to be celebrating this week um, during, um, in, I'm sorry, I'm excited to share that we will be celebrating in Times Square in New York all week long. Um, there will be an ad advertising, letting people know um, about the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act and the Pump for Nursing Mothers Act because. We want to celebrate and we have to get the word out. So we are so excited to be taking our celebration on the road to Times Square um, to be celebrating these new laws. How can people get involved in the celebration and letting people know what's going on and everything? Well, stay tuned to our social media. Um, we have a blog post with all of the information as well as, well as um, links to um additional legal information from our partners at A Better Balance and the Center for Work-Life Law. Also links to the agencies that are overseeing both of these new laws, the Wage and Hour Division at the Department of Labor and the EEOC. Um, and so please stay tuned, share our posts, share the blog, um, tell your mama, tell your daddy, tell your cousin, tell your aunt, tell your uncle, let everyone know because all of us either could benefit or know someone who could benefit um from from these new laws for sure now when we're talking about the new laws and we're talking about a whole month there's a whole month of celebration and months of celebration with particular focuses i bet our listeners would love to hear about the particular focuses yes absolutely so during the first week um we celebrate, we celebrate world breastfeeding week around the world um the second week we celebrated indigenous milk medicine week along with our partners in the indigenous community. Um, last week, we celebrated the Asian American, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander Breastfeeding Week. Um, next week, we'll be celebrating Black Breastfeeding Week. And um, we have a new week this year um, that is for the Latinx community. Um, and um, that will be the week of September 5th through 11th. So we, we even spread it out past August a little bit and carrying the celebrations in to September. This is so good. And people can find out about it on our Instagram, at Moms Rising, on Twitter, at Moms Rising, and also at Mamas Con Poder. 
and on Facebook and all the places. And you can go to Moms Rising's website and find out more too. Tina, what yes. is your favorite thing about these two policies and how they passed? Oh, that's a good question. My favorite thing. I think my favorite thing is how our members engage. These fights are long and they are hard. Um, and our members have stepped up and shown up to share their stories, um, to share their photos. Um, and I think that is probably my most favorite part of this fight is uh, being able to take our members' stories to Congress um, so that they know. Um, talking with members' offices, they have no idea what a pump looks like, <laughs> more or less how it works. Um, and so being able to, you know, take the take our member stories into Congress, share with their representatives, um, and really tell what, what families are going through, I think that has probably been my favorite part of this journey. And so stories really change how people vote. Absolutely. 100%. Our elected officials, they need to hear from us about what we're encountering in a you know in real time in real life what is going on and how we're experiencing the world and what um what barriers we're encountering they don't know um and if we don't tell them they still won't know and so we need to tell them so that they understand what policies would knock down those barriers for sure and the pregnant workers fairness act and the pump for nursing mothers act both knock down big barriers to people being able to be healthy people being able to work and provide for their family, businesses being able to thrive. I mean, businesses benefit too, because we get supply chain issues when people are pushed out of the labor force when a new child arrives. So we really, really, really love these policies. And we thank everybody who's listening, who takes a moment to call their member of Congress, takes a moment to call the White House, takes a moment to sign on a petition, takes a moment to share a story. It really does all add up and we really are powerful together. Thank you so much, Tina Sherman of Moms Rising for being on today. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you, Kristen. Well, that's it for our show today. Thanks so much for tuning in as we tackle the top topics facing our nation in a way that requires the most boring disclaimer in the history of the planet Earth. Here it goes. Views expressed on this show are those of the individual speakers and should not be attributed to Moms Rising, to this station, or to any news or social media service that may disseminate a recording of this show to the public or to any segment of the public. Boom. We'll catch you next week. We're going to fight. We're going to fight.